this week on the Sportplex? This week, Boca Juniors and Racing Club see red. Randall's off the handle in Adelaide. Saturday coaching on Sunday in Indy. And let's call it what it is. Kyrie's still a dick. <laughs> and LeBron, not Stradamus. It's 11 past 8 in the West on Wednesday, the 9th of November 2022. And I've got to ask the question, Shuey. Did you win your beach volleyball final? I knew you were going to ask that. So, all right. Basically, all season, I have been looking at our team and thinking there's one thing that could potentially derail it, and that is the other team basically targeting one of our players. Now, she's lovely girl, plays really hard, just maybe not quite the same level as the rest of us. And unfortunately, they targeted her. And yeah, look, it was a borderline dick move, but at the end of the day, it's legal. So yeah, anyway, we lost. So yeah, poo. Still a great effort, though, to make the granny. I know that you didn't expect that at the start of the season, and it is a grand final, so they are going to use the tactics to win, aren't they? So, Oh, absolutely. The, the team played out of their skin all season. I'm so bloody proud of them for, for what they did. It just would have been nice to bring home another one of those little metal things that would have sat in a cupboard for the next 25 years. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, I got rid of all those. Yeah, they're worthless, but that's all right. It is what it is, man. And it gives us something to go back and play for next year. We'll have a hopeful San Antonio Spurs-Miami Heat redemption story like uh, like they did all those years ago. Ah, very nice. I like it. I like it. As we do so often, Stewie, what caught your attention? What'd you miss? Well, the Houston Astros won the World Series. That's about as much as I know about it. So I just thought we should probably start with that. (laughs) It's about as much as I know too, yes. I didn't see a single pitch in the whole series. Just no interest in it. But anyway, they won. Good for them. Yeah. No, there's not enough hours in the day. I saw highlights here and there. And and as I say, hopefully no cheating this time because the last time the Astros won it, they uh, they did so under dodgy circumstances with a lot of... Uh, yeah, they they were the, the Houston asterisks. But uh, no, look, a couple of soccer items that caught my attention this week. Now, the crazier of the two involves the Argentina Trophy of Champions final on Monday between Boca Juniors and Racing Club. So the match has ended 1-1 at the end of regular time before a 118th minute winner for Racing Club from Carlos Alcaraz. No, not the current world number one tennis player. Just happens to be a guy with the same name. Now, in typically classy football player fashion, he's ripped off his shirt and begun celebrating in front of the Boca fans. And let's just say the Boca players did not take too kindly to it. They've responded by grabbing at him, pulling his ear. I don't know why that's a thing. And then they finally decided, ah, stuff it. Let's just throw the ball at him. So, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff in there. And the incident saw seven players sent off. Seven. <laughs> More than half a team. It's ridiculous. And there'd already been three players shown reds during the game by referee Facundo Tello. So it took the total to a record of 10 red cards. Boca finished the game with only four players on the pitch. Absolutely farcical. It was borderline bloody hell. But uh, just thought I'll, I'll keep it at the top. Yes, you know, that is bloody hell worthy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But what's interesting about that is that Tello is actually on the list of World Cup referees for later this month. So hopefully everyone has taken note on how ruthless he is with the card in hand. So don't want to see anyone getting sent off unnecessarily during a World Cup game. It's bad enough in a bloody Champions final. But uh, yeah, crazy, crazy scenes. Now, the other item that caught my attention was the ridiculous goal scored by Polish amputee footballer Marcin Oleski. Playing for Wada Poznan against Stal Zhezhov, a cross has come in and he's launched himself up using his crutch for balance before converting this ridiculous overhead kick. Utterly spectacular. You've seen it, haven't you? I Indeed, I did, mate. I retweeted it at Sportbloke, so check it out. It was absolutely insane. Now, I'm probably going to go to hell for this, but I was reading some of the comments from the video and one of them in particular just absolutely smashed my funny bone. Someone's basically made the comment, oh, what a bicycle. And one of the replies read, unicycle. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh. Accurate in a sense. No, you still need two feet for a unicycle. So that's, but yeah. I think it's more, more sort of meeting the uh, the wheels, but yeah. yeah, unicycle with a little asterisk next to it. Oh, man. I felt like I was yeah, going to hell just for laughing at that. That's a bit rough. You remind me, actually, did you say there was unicycle indoor hockey I saw on Twitter the other day as well? Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, pretty some pretty impressive skills with that too. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. How about yourself, mate? Well, yeah, I'll stick with the soccer stuff. So I don't know if you saw the interview with Sepp Blatter, the uh, disgraced former FIFA leader. He's basically said that 
Qatar shouldn't be hosting the World Cup and that he changed his vote at the last minute on the advice of one of his friends who he now doesn't consider a friend. We all know he's a bit dodgy too, though. I know that a Qatari World Cup ambassador has called homosexuality a damage in the mind. So, yes, there's a lot of people that are a bit worried about all sorts of things like the human rights record. Did you hear that apparently nearly 7,000 people died building those stadiums, which is just appalling. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the... Yeah, look, that sort of stuff, unfortunately, probably happens in Qatar all the time. So it wouldn't surprise me. So this bloke, Khalid Salman, who's the uh, or one of the ambassadors, said that they will accept gay visitors, but they have to accept our rules. So, yeah, look, I'd be a bit nervous if if I was a homosexual or trans person over there. I Yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's concerning. It is, and it's such a shame. Like I've been to Qatar before. It's an amazing place. I mean, wandering around Doha for a couple of days with the wife and getting to experience it. Look, there are some things there that really do open your eyes, the way that they, they treat animals, not just the way that they, they treat people who are homosexual or transgender or whatever it happens to be. But it's a really beautiful part of the world, and you hope that it goes off without any sort of hitches. Yeah, or as few as possible. Absolutely. I don't know if you've kept an eye on the rugby. Obviously, it's not one of our most favourite sports, but the English are calling for Eddie Jones's head after they lost a close one to Argentina. And the Daily Telegraph's reporting that disgruntled clubs have threatened to set up a breakaway rugby league competition as the funding stalemate with the NRL continues. The salary cap still hasn't been set there. Feels about right, though, doesn't it? Every 10 years or so, there's a threatening uh, call to start a new league or something. Yeah, and we'll believe it when it happens. Yeah, look, we won't talk about that too much. It's not really in our wheelhouse, but I did notice that. And then I thought I'd finish on politics because obviously today was the midterm elections in the US. Before I get there, though, I wanted to kind of just acknowledge the fact that former Pakistani cricketer Imran Khan was, uh, well, there was an assassination attempt on his life not so long ago over the weekend, I believe it was. Luckily, the shooter only got him in the leg. Yeah, thankfully it was Russell Westbrook shooting, but... (laughs) Um, but yeah, former captain of, of Pakistan and now the prime minister there. So yeah, luckily that wasn't worse. But in the States, former Heisman Trophy winner and two-time pro bowler Herschel Walker is in a very, very tight race for a Senate seat in the state of Georgia. Oh, I don't know if you've seen any of his interviews or anything like that. He's just an imbecile, really, to be honest, I think. But he's, of course, he's been doing the anti-abortion stuff that the Republicans are doing. And then not one, but two former partners have come out and said that he actually paid for multiple abortions. And one of them even had a sympathy card to show to prove it. That's nice of him to at least buy a card. <laughs> yeah, but don't get S- one. Seri- sorry. No, I, sh- I shouldn't make light of that, honestly. It's it's an absolute bloody joke that that sort of stuff's happening. But um, yeah, uh, I guess we're very fortunate that we live in a world where yeah, people have a bit more choice. Well, in a country. Sorry, yes, I should say that. I should say that. But uh, yeah, I, I saw Elizabeth Banks on The Daily Show last night. I think she said one in four women in the States has had an abortion. It's obviously been a, a really big issue over there. But obviously, as a former sports person, he had 82 career total NFL touchdowns as a running back. So yeah, I thought I'd bring that up as well. What'd you miss, mate? There you go. Okay. Oh, busy weekend in the old household here. So unfortunately, not a lot of live NBL. Just another one of these weekends that just got away from me. And unfortunately, NBL has been a little bit of a casualty these last few weeks. It's, I don't know, I've just struggled to get excited about this season. It could be just because the Cats have been rubbish up until the last game they played. or It could just be a number of other things. But yeah, I'm just really struggling with the NBL right now. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, we did get to watch that Adelaide-Perth game together. And we saw a little bit of the Tassie-Brisbane game prior to that as well. I don't know. So that suggests to me that you didn't go back and watch the loss to, <laughs> to Tassie that oh, we had. God, no. When we no, last I, week. no, I don't have time to go back and watch games I know we lose. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I did watch it in two parts, uh, two halves, basically, but it was while I was listening to podcasts as well. So I didn't maybe get it all in because I didn't have the commentary going on. But uh, yeah, funny old game, that one in the end. The Wildcats were in control. They're up by about seven or eight with five minutes left in the third and then just, just capitulated, really. I'm enjoying the season. I, I'm still, yeah, still enjoying the season. I'd like to have seen a little bit more, but I'm trying to, yeah, trying to watch as much as I can and we'll get to the NBL shortly. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. What'd you miss? Unfortunately, today, well, again, it's the scheduling. So I didn't get to see the first T20 semi final between Pakistan and New Zealand. From all accounts, though, it looks like Pakistan got home in a canter. So 
I will go back and watch. I will go back and watch the the finals, the two semis and the final when that happens as well. But uh, yeah, haven't haven't seen that one yet tonight because it started when I was still working and now we're recording. That's an Ennis cancer to you, by the way. <laughs> so, Stewie, before we get on to the, I guess, bigger issues and, and some of the more serious stuff, obviously there's been some Kyrie Irving updates. Did you see the, there's a lot of stuff on Twitter at the moment about LeBron James and how <laughs> he kind of claims to predict all this stuff and then maybe, uh, maybe, maybe he didn't. So to be honest, Chewie, I don't even know where it really started. I think it was to do with some rap group. Um, is that what you young folks call them? Obviously, I'm a big metalhead, so rap's kind of outside of my wheelhouse. But I think he was saying that he was saying like, oh, way back in the day, he predicted they'd be big. And then some people have gone back and gone, well, hold on, they weren't even around then or something. I think that's where it began. I'm not even entirely sure where it began. But there's been so much funny stuff where people are uh, just taking the piss out of LeBron, saying that he claimed all this stuff. Yeah, well, there was the the one that I sort of saw quite early on was him saying, "Oh, I, I told Kevin Durant that his shoe looked a little bit too big before he went on and had that that infamous two point shot in that series against Milwaukee a couple of seasons ago." There'd been a ton of them. I think there was one where they were saying, "Oh, I told JFK that he should have had the <laughs> he should have had the, had the roof up on that that famous day." There's, there's so many of them going around though. I saw that one as well. There was one about Kobe's eighty one. But the one that I've, uh, and geez, sure, you could almost call him not Stradamus. <laughs> not yet. The, the one I took note of was by someone called President Elect Toguro on Twitter who said, You know, when I first got to Miami in 2011, I had a strange feeling about Osama bin Laden and that he was hiding in Abbottabad, Pakistan. I told Coach Spo and D Wade about it and they set up a meeting with Obama and we got it done. Hashtag just a kid from Akron. <laughs> oh, that, and they won't stop. They will not stop. Now, speaking of hashtags, I've seen the hashtag I stand with Kyrie was trending this afternoon. I think we've got to go there, don't we? Well, look, I mean, there's always going to be people that have differing opinions to us. Do, do we, I, I don't know, we don't really want to give them the light of day because quite frankly, I mean, it's not something we agree with. But uh, yeah, look, no matter what opinion you have, it's very rare that you won't find at least one or, one or two other idiots that have the same opinion. Oh, that's right. I mean... I'm, I'm all for freedom freedom of speech, but what people always forget is that freedom of speech does not have freedom from consequence. And uh, Kyrie knew what he was doing. I'm confident of that. He's said all sorts of crazy shit over the years. It's just consistent with his behaviour. I think he did believe a lot of what was in that documentary. So, look, he is allowed to believe it, each to their own. But, again, you don't have freedom from consequence. No, absolutely. And look, it has to be said, it was odds on after we sounded off against Joe Tsai and Nike last week for not suspending or dropping Kyrie Irving that it would basically happen the day after we hit record. So I guess, do we give the update? Yeah, so so finally there is a bit of a repercussion for him. So the Nets have suspended him for a minimum of five games and there's quite a lot of, I think, well, I think there's about six or seven conditions he has to meet before they'll allow him back on the floor. And there's, there's a lot of things that he has to do to try and, I guess, make this right. There's been a lot of talk that Foot Locker have had all of the Kyrie shoes removed from their stores. So there's a lot of stuff going on and, and it's nice to see people finally doing it. And I guess, look, maybe these places just kind of didn't want to have a knee-jerk reaction, wanted to make sure they had the full story before they did anything. So I can kind of understand that a little bit more. But uh, look, potentially a really big suspension. I mean, if he doesn't meet those criteria, he could be out for who knows. Well, they could put him behind the walls, Chewy. They could. NBA Players Association is actually appealing the conditions of that suspension. I don't know how you feel about that. What are they saying? They want them want it to be way more lenient. Some of the stuff they think is unnecessary. I, I must confess I haven't kind of read the ins and outs of it. As someone who has a bit of an interest in legal proceedings, and this is partly why I wasn't listening to the commentary of the Perth Tassie game, because I was listening to stuff about Adnan Syed. But I'm quite interested in this as a test case. So it's going to be really interesting to see if they win the appeal. Because, I don't know, maybe... Uh, I mean, you can force a guy to to do certain things, but I don't know, is some of it heavy-handed? It's a bit interesting. I know Stephen A. Smith was was pretty big. Like he's 
very adamant that Kyrie's a douchebag, but I know he had some problems with it. So, so not a lot of details come out about it yet, but I think it will be interesting to see how that one how that one unfolds. Well, basically, the six items that apparently he has to complete to return to the team: apologize and condemn the movie, five hundred thousand dollars donation to anti hate causes, sensitivity training, anti Semitic training. Meet with uh, ADL, which is the Anti-Discrimination League, uh, and Jewish leaders. Meet with Joe Sider, demonstrate understanding. So I don't know that there's anything there that's particularly difficult. I mean, the, the only one I can think of is if he 100% believes in this, that he's not going to apologize or condemn the, the movie itself. But, I mean, like, fuck, it's not difficult. <laughs> No, I, I, I don't think that's heavy-handed when you put it in those terms. I mean, if you think about any other workplace, if someone was engaging in inappropriate conduct for whatever reason, be it making slurs about a religion or perhaps using sexual remarks they shouldn't be using or anything like that, if their employment continues, you'd think that they'd be put on a probation period or they might have to go through sensitivity training or sexual harassment training, for example. So there's any number of kind of modules that any people need to to do in any given workplace. So I don't actually think that it's that excessive, to be honest. No, uh, this is the thing. I mean, yes, okay, it's outside of the workplace, but as you said last week, his reach and his influence doesn't stop when he leaves the basketball court. It's everything that he does. And look, I dare say if you or I had done something similar to that and it came up at the workplace and somebody took offence to it, you or I would probably be out the door. Well, that's right. Or at very least, we would have to go through some sort of sensitivity training as well. So I don't think this is that abnormal. And many occupations will hold their employees accountable for stuff that they put out on social media, even outside of working hours in some situations as well. So, okay, yes, it's a very unique occupation being a professional athlete, but uh, I don't know. I don't think it's it's too demanding, even if he doesn't believe no. it. I mean, as some one of the reporters allegedly said in the press conference, just say, sorry, I've been married twice. I said it plenty of times, didn't need to mean it. <laughs> So, exactly. That's all we had to do. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting one. I do actually believe that he probably believes a lot of the content in the film, though. And apparently the film's gone to number one on Amazon in the States. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I actually looked for it on Amazon here, but it's not It's not in Australia. So I would have watched some had, had it been on Amazon here, but it's not, so... I mean, a lot of that would just purely be down to curiosity. What's oh, it all absolutely. about? What? Yeah. yeah, but, geez, I'll tell you what, whoever created it's probably laughing all the way to the bank, so... As is Jeff Bezos, I dare say. Yeah, yeah, true. One of the things I did find really interesting about this was the $500,000 donation that we spoke about last week that was supposedly going to this anti-defamation league. This is like this is crazy. The CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, has actually refused to accept the donation. Yes, He's basically yeah. said, yeah, he said, Kyrie Irving has been given ample opportunity to do the right thing, apologize and condemn anti-Semitism. He's failed almost every step along the way. And they're basically not taking the money, which I think is very, very interesting. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. And I dare say that had he just come out and said sorry straight away, even if he didn't mean it, that a lot of this wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had to jump through all these hoops. So I do think he's brought it upon himself. There was a lot of inaction from him for a long time. There was a lot of inaction from the team for a long time. I'd say there's been pressure on them. And that's why they gave the punishment that they did. A lot of this could have been avoided. It really could. So I guess getting back to the basketball side of things, Nate, I've got a, a question for you. So this is a guy who forced his way out of a perennial contender in Cleveland because he didn't want to play second fiddle to LeBron. He then lied to Boston, said that he would come back before bailing to go to Brooklyn. Now you've had all of this combined with all of the, you know, the anti-vaxxer and flat earth stuff. At what point does he stop having any kind of value to a team? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. And all the things you've mentioned are the very reason. So he, when he did leave Cleveland, or when he was going to leave Cleveland, he shortlisted a bunch of teams that he'd play for, and the Spurs were one of them. And all this stuff is exactly why I did not want the Spurs to touch him with a 50-foot clown pole. And I'm so glad that the Spurs didn't, because it would have been a disaster. And luckily, Boston bounced back from it pretty well. <laughs> they made the finals well, last year. Well. I mean, uh, both teams did. When when you consider where Cleveland is right now, yeah, well, okay, it took too. took a yeah it took a few seasons, but where they are now is a very very good spot. And as you say, yeah, Boston finals last year. No, good, no, very good point, very good point indeed. But but still, they did have to recover from that. So there's a bit of a law of diminishing returns with this stuff, isn't there? I I just looked up his age. I'm surprised he's only thirty. I thought he might have been a little bit older than that. But even so, the older you get, 
the less room you have to to screw up basically i know that you and i will will be releasing our 1992 redraft at some point in the near future one of the ones that we really had trouble with was Latrell Sprewell because he was the clear third pick if you redraft that draft based on performance and stats. But if you bring in the choking, the literal choking, not the figurative choking uh, of PJ Carlissimo, obviously, and, and some of the off-court stuff and some of the chemistry issue stuff, then is he a clear number three? And so I think Kyrie's in a similar boat. It just gets to a point where teams go, nah, we do not need this. We do not need this at all. I mean, shit, going back to Spreewell, you could argue on talent, he's almost number two. I mean, you probably would still take Alonzo Mourning ahead of him, but yeah, there's so many other things that would just put him way further down. Um, interestingly enough, though, as well, having a look at his contract, like he's an unrestricted free agent for 2023. So this is where it gets really interesting. What team is going to spend what sort of money to bring him in? And I mean, is he going to play for anything less than the contract that he's on now? I mean, he's on a the last year of a four-year, $136.5 million contract. Well, Can you see a world where he plays for less? I suggest that he's lost a lot of bargaining power. And if he wants to play at all, he's going to have to take what he can get. There might be a team out of desperation. Maybe the Lakers are that team. Obviously, there were rumors that he might be traded there in the offseason. That never happened. I mean, there are, have you heard of the rumors about AD and the Lakers potentially trading him? People are getting on the trade machine and trying to get Durant and Irving to LA and get AD over to Brooklyn and, and trying to involve a Oof. third team and picks and all this stuff. I don't know how you feel about Yeah, right. That. That's it. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I actually read a tweet today, funnily enough, and someone was sort of saying, well, if you look at the the trade where they trade AD across to, you know, to the Lakers from New Orleans for Ingram and Ball and all these other players, and it's like Ingram's better than Davis now on his own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Pellies won that trade big time in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Big time. Absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, the Lakers did get their bubble championship, though. And it they did. Bubble, so maybe some people don't hold that as highly. Some people hold it higher. It's just different, in my opinion. So yep. yeah, they did. They did get their their championship out of it, but yeah, not looking like yeah, a trade. Fallen, fallen off a cliff. Now, <laughs> was, did you see the other thing doing the rounds on Twitter as well? The last time the Lakers were two and nine, and then there's footage of Robert Sacre backing down against one of the Spurs players. I think it might have even been like Tiago Splitter or something, and then throwing up an air ball from about six feet out. I did see that one briefly. I saw the Spurs were the team, the opposition team, but I didn't. I looked at it very quickly, so yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, mm. and, and look, people are showing stats of Jeannie Buss's time at the helm and Rob Polinka, and they're all wondering why did Polinka get the extension he did? And yep, it's a bit of a dumpster fire there in LA. It is. Well, both sides of LA. Let's be honest. Yeah, well, Kawhi is injured again, so a couple of the usual suspects are appearing on the injury list. <laughs> Yes. Darren Dear Jackson me. Jr. as well. Uh, yeah. Should we talk about the Utah Jazz though, Stewie? My goodness. Yeah, well, I mean, let, let's just quickly rewind a second, go back to sort of last week and how we, we talked about how, you know, the crappy teams were winning. And it's kind of interesting how it seems like now everyone's kind of regressed back to the main, I guess, certainly in, in the East anyway. I mean, Philadelphia struggling. Joel Embiid's missed a, a few games and James Harden's missed a couple. Miami's not been amazing, but the rest of the East is kind of looking about right. And then even if we go back to the West, the Spurs have lost four in a row. OKC's lost three in a row. So thankfully our teams are sort of doing the right thing now after getting a little bit too frisky at the start. <laughs> and so it's, it's really only, I guess, Utah nine and three top of the West right now. And to an extent, Portland at seven and three, I guess are the big shocks. So what have you made of Utah so far? Well, look, I'll be honest, I haven't seen any of their games, but it seems that the chemistry must be working really well. And I think the the coaching must be really good too. There, there must be the things that are making this a success. Well, it's it's a team offense. They've got six guys in double figures right now. They're sixth in the league in assists, so they're sharing the ball around. They're playing good defense, third in the league in steals as well. So they're, they're doing a lot of the, the really good stuff. Guys like Jordan Clarkson is actually passing the ball. He doesn't seem like quite as big a black hole as he was for many, many seasons. It just seemed like every time he passed him the ball, a shot was going up. So it's it's nice to see that they're getting buy-in from him. They're getting a lot of uh, a lot of those sort of veteran guys like your Kelly Linux as well, who are, are playing really good ball. As we said, Laurie Markkinen's probably playing the best basketball of his entire career. And from all accounts, Joey, apparently those two are playing really well together. So they they must have some pretty good chemistry going on as well. It's a bit of an odd couple, but it's working. 
it is an odd couple, but yeah, I, I guess this is the thing. A lot of people could see that there was potential for Markkinen to be not an all NBA sort of player, but certainly a very, very good player. Maybe even a fringe all-star. Maybe it's just one of these ones. We always talk about situational fit and how so many guys, you know, I always go back to Isaiah Thomas in Boston. He was probably the best version that he could possibly be of himself. As soon as he goes to Cleveland, he falls off a cliff and's out the league a couple of seasons later. So maybe it's just that this is the fit for Markin and where he's, he's sort of found a, an offense that works for him. He's kind of the man really. Um, it looks like Colin Sexton's kind of taken a bit of a back step and is playing off the bench. So yeah, it's, it's a good fit for him. Markin was picked seventh overall in the 2017 draft. So it's not unreasonable to expect that he would become an all-star. Maybe it's just the fact that there's low expectation. He's playing in a city it's not doesn't have the scrutiny of New York or LA or Chicago even. It's maybe that that simple that there's the low expectation and the lack of scrutiny and he can just go out there and do his thing. It could. And look, there's a couple of other things I will mention about this. They've had a fairly soft schedule so far. They've played the Lakers without LeBron. They've played the Clippers without Kawhi. They've played two games against the Grizzlies, one without Desmond Bain and one without Ja Morant. So they've managed to get some wins against teams that were maybe missing certain players that may have changed those results. Now, admittedly, they did beat the Lakers with LeBron as well in another game. So that probably isn't quite as big a deal. But yeah, they, they certainly caught teams at opportunistic times. But what they're doing really well is it's the three ball. They allow the second fewest threes a game at the worst percentage on defense. So they're defending the three ball really well. They make the third most threes in the league. So offensively, they're shooting it quite well, a pretty decent sort of clip. And I read this website called Yard Barker, who they probably put it best. They have been the proverbial whole is greater than the sum of its parts team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Now, the other one, obviously, we said was Portland. Have you seen much of them? Not a hell of a lot. I did see half of game and that's where I was really impressed with Simons and his athleticism as well as uh, Sharp, who we mentioned last week. So not a hell of a lot, but I did get to see a little bit of game action there, yeah. Well, it's interesting. They're kind of doing it the hard way at the moment. So four of their seven wins have been by three points or less. They had a game winner yesterday with uh, Josh Hart hitting hitting a three-pointer against Miami. But they, yeah, they're getting good performances from Simons. They're getting a, a really good performance from Jeremy Grant. It is worth noting, though, if you go back to last season, they had a ton of roster turnover. They had the trades of CJ McCollum and Norman Powell. No Blazer played more than 64 games last season, and that was Ben McLemore. Like They had a couple of guys in the 50s, and pretty much most players played half the season or less. And so you, you sort of wonder, Lillard's missing a bit of time now. They've got a couple of tricky runs coming up. But they have had six rotation guys playing every game so far. And if they stay healthy, there's no reason this team can't get back to maybe not quite the level of that Western Conference Finals team from a few years back that Golden State beat. But they, they do have the potential to be very good. Oh, health makes all the difference, doesn't it? As, as so it many people say, the best ability is availability. So absolutely, it's, it's not a surprise in that sense. I, I, I like the makeup of their team. I think they could do some interesting things. Yeah, I think it's it's just, I guess, the recency bias. You see them as 27 and 55 last year, and you think, oh, Portland must be shit. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, maybe that's why. If you drill down into the numbers of how many games a lot of their players played, it's like, oh, geez, okay. These big-name players missed like 30, 40 games. If Ben McLemore is the guy that played the most games, I mean, he's only a benchman. He's not a star. So, so no. that tells you everything you need to know as well. It does couple of quick hits to finish, Joey. Now, we don't have a hell of a lot of dueling stats today, but I did notice that Boston became the first team in NBA history to have every single player hit a three in their 15-point win over the New York Knicks a few days ago. I did see that. That is absolutely crazy. Have so many guys hitting threes. Shows where the league's going, of course, too, the way the game's changed. It really does. Speaking of changes in the game, really, really cool thing, especially off the back of the whole Kyrie Irving thing, did you see Ryan Terrell made his debut in the G League the other day? The first Orthodox Jewish player to play at such a high level. And he only played a few minutes with a Motor City Cruise, picked up a steal, but he was wearing his yarmulke while he was playing, which is just, oh, it's so good seeing something like that happening, especially, as I say, with all the bullshit going on with Kyrie. Yeah, it's funny timing, isn't it? I did see that one, actually. Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. No, good yeah, on him. No. Brilliant story. So, Stewie, it wasn't quite the exciting round of NBL that round five was, but there was some mixed bags. So Adelaide had a very easy win over the Hawks. I don't think there's any argument that they're the worst team in the league. Illawarra, of course. Tassie had that win over Perth, as I mentioned at the top. 
Ken smashed Melbourne. Brisbane Tassie was an interesting one. We caught the end of that one and the Bullets were maybe lucky to escape that one a little bit. Perth had that win in Adelaide. A lot of away teams won once again. Sydney extended their road streak to 17 across two seasons, admittedly, but still 17 road wins in a row after a four-point win over New Zealand. And then Melbourne absolutely smashed the Phoenix in the uh, throwdown there in Victoria. But the biggest news, of course, Craig Randall is gone. It's always off the court stuff right now, isn't it? And this this is, I think, what is frustrating me at the moment is that it's all the off-court stuff that is really playing center stage right now. I mean, what do you say? A lot of talent, but just a shit dude, really. You know, arguing with <laughs> CJ Bruton, not getting along with the players, guys towards the end didn't seem excited when he was successful. Like, you know, I, I want to ask you this. The 36ers have come out and said it was, uh, I suppose, a mutual parting of ways. Do you honestly believe it was mutual? Um, I suspect that it was more on the 36ers side than his side, but I also suspect that he was probably acting up because he wasn't happy. So in that sense, it was probably mutual, but no, I would, I would imagine that it was probably more on Adelaide's side than his. I just don't get why he was unhappy. Like this, this is the thing like, okay, yes, there's some things that are sort of going on that he's maybe not happy with. He's being pulled aside by CJ and asked to be accountable for certain things. It was made to come off the bench for that game against Perth and blah, blah, blah. But if you look at the box score, he still played 26 and a half minutes. I mean, only what Franks and McCarron played more minutes than him. So he's still getting plenty of court time, but you know, this is the thing like we were talking about the 36ers and, and him specifically pre-season. And it was like, yeah, he's an awesome player. You can clearly see it. But when the shit hits the fan, that's when you find out how good these players really are. And and this was kind of what I was interested with this team coming into it was how will Randall be when things don't go well? And we know now. Well, I remember when we were watching the game, he pulled up like no offense at all. Basically went down the court, pulled up a good meter and a half, two meters behind the three-point line and he hit it. It was a big shot. But I remember saying to you at the time, I hate that offense. Like guys just standing around watching. It's not a fun offense to play in. And clearly that was a microcosm of the entire experience, I think. Okay, sure, he hit nine threes against the Phoenix Suns and did very well. But from all accounts, he had problems with his attitude in the G League as well. And yeah, ball hogs, not fun to play with. And this is the problem. Obviously, the fact that, yeah, it's been documented that it happened in the G League. He was averaging stupid amounts of points a game and got pulled out of that lineup, like five games, I think it was, short of the playoffs in there. This is where you look at a guy and you start saying, like, that's a pattern. And unfortunately, yeah, in leagues like the NBL, that sort of shit doesn't fly. I mean, yes, there's probably going to be plenty of takers of him all across Asia. Parts of Europe will probably even put out the feelers and try and get him. But I think Homicide Williams put it, best okay yes he said unprofessionalism you know so like his lack of professionalism is absolutely the thing and when he said you're a hooper not a pro those six words i think sum it up perfectly interestingly and obviously it's completely different to the Kyrie thing but it's similar in the sense of chemistry chemistry is important having a well-functioning team having guys happy having guys playing together having guys playing for one another You can't win a championship without some good chemistry, okay? There's always going to be hiccups along the way for whatever reason. But the good teams are the ones that play together and play for one another. And clearly, he wasn't one of those sort of players. And I didn't actually get to see the overtime and Corey tee off. Apparently, it was quite impassioned and quite an interesting... I believe you did see it, so I'll throw to you in a sec. But one of the things I picked up from it, because I did read the quotes was that he said, and look, he's been defending Randall. He's been saying best import trio of all time. Well, trio of all time, even, I think. They finished three and four as a team. So that's how good that trio was. But he was standing up for him. He was talking about how good he and and the team were. So you could tell that Williams wanted them to do well. You could tell that he was rooting for them. And apparently he, and maybe you can speak to this more because I believe you did see over time, but apparently he said to him, look, dude, some of that attitude stuff won't fly in Australia. The, the culture here is different. There's the tall poppy stuff and we just have a different culture here and you have to kind of fit in to, well, if you want to be successful, you have to at least understand the lay of the land and, and understand how the leagues work and the expectations of the players and the fans and the media and everything. I mean, obviously there was that story and the, the footage of him being the only one not linking arms during the national anthem. There were all these little things. It was almost death by a thousand cuts, wasn't it? I think realistically, okay, yes, you said you haven't seen the the video. You've kind of summed it up pretty well there. I mean, the main thing was, yeah, that 
obviously Homicide was saying like he's had a, a good relationship with Randall beforehand and reached out to him and spoke to him about it. And it's just pure disappointment that he hasn't taken that on board. And, uh, yeah, I look, I, I mean, I don't know if anything's even come out about that whole sort of not linking arms thing in terms of why it happened, but yeah, it, it does sort of scream a lot. You say a picture speaks a thousand words. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. He he tried to excuse it, but I think it was pretty poor. Did you see that his mum went into bat for him after Corey Homicide Williams's comments? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and look, that's just being a good mum. But look, at the end of the day, he's done the wrong thing. He's out of the basically the second league that he's been a part of. So. You know, he's not going to make it to the NBA the way that this is going because this is one of the things I think Liam Santamaria was saying is that when you're that sort of fringe player, they want to know about your character and they want to know what what sort of person you are. And if you're not a good person or you've got all of these sort of crosses against your name, well, guess what? Someone else who has a better character is going to step in and take that spot. And I'll actually quote. So again, you're right. Obviously, the mum will stand up for her child. And, and wasn't it um, Andrew Ganyan had a funny back and forth? Was it Milton Doyle's mum from the Tassie Jack Jumpers? I know it was one of their imports. And and again, Perthlings, keep an eye out. We've got some exciting stuff coming at the end of January. I haven't had a chance to listen to their most recent episode yet because I think it only dropped this evening. Shout out to the NBL Pocket Podcast, guys. Well, there are some exciting things coming up in Perth here. But her, her quote, Mr. Williams, your public appraisal is unwarranted and unnecessary. Sadly, it speaks volumes of your integrity and duplicity, amongst other things. Use your platform to build up. It will serve a far better purpose. To be honest, his job in the media is to call it how he sees it. He initially called them the best trio in league history. He called it how he saw it. So he was building up at that point. And the integrity, well, it's Randall's integrity, isn't it? That's the issue. As you say, there's a pattern of behavior here. So, okay, obviously she's going to defend her son, but I don't think Williams has done anything wrong here. I think that what he said was correct. Well, it's not all rainbows and unicorns at the end of the day. I mean, this is the thing. No matter what job you're in, if you do the wrong thing, you are going to get professional feedback or critical feedback from your bosses. And talent alone does not cut it. Okay, yes, you will have more leeway the more talented you are. But as you say, that road to the NBA just got a hell of a lot rockier and there's no guarantee he'll make it. Yeah, I dare say the road's kind of fallen out, basically. One of those uh, one of those horribly... Po- <laughs> yeah, one of, yes, <laughs> thank you. That was the word I was looking for and could not get to. So, Nate, you obviously mentioned a couple of the performances over the weekend. And look, I think probably the biggest highlight for me outside of Perth was seeing Chris Golding going off. I mean, oh, 10 yes. of 17 from the field, 7 of 12 threes, 30 points. He just dominates the throwdowns. I don't know what it is about Southeast Melbourne. Maybe it's just that crosstown rivalry. But yeah, had a really, really great battle with, uh, with Williams and Creek, but obviously way too strong on the day. Oh, mate, some of those threes he hit were crazy, weren't they? And Williams, Williams was a beast. What was he at, like 21 and 10 or 21 and 11 at halftime? Absolutely beast. Yeah, yeah, big numbers. But And this is the thing, when we did our preview before the season, that was the reason why I said that he was probably the biggest reason that the Phoenix were going to be successful, because he's that good a player. But, uh, yeah, just hasn't quite lived up to that reputation just yet. But, you know, there's, there's signs there, I guess. And I think the injury news on Ryan Brokoff isn't quite as bad as initially it maybe was first thought. So they might come back with a vengeance soon, the Phoenix as well. I know you wanted to talk about Brady Manick, mate. He had a, a good game finally against Adelaide. Oh, let's not sugar. He didn't have a good game. He had an absolutely amazing game. This is the thing, though. It is a make or miss league. And the difference is when he makes his first shot, look what happens. And he's sort of gone through the same sort of start to his career over here as Michael Frazier did. And it just seemed like the one or two games that Frazier played really well, it just came down to him hitting that first shot. And so Manic gets a really good wide open look on one of the first possessions of the game, hits the three, and all of a sudden you look at it at the end of the game, he's got 25 points, he was on fire from downtown. And, you know, obviously that's the difference between a loss and a win. One of the things that stood out to me, and I remember us talking about it during the game, was that he didn't just take every decent look that came Earlier in the season, if there was a decent look, he would just take it. Whereas in this game, he would pass it around a bit more and often it would come back to him and often it would be a better look. So I think he made some better decisions and and the decision-making, I mean, that's key. I thought he's rebounded pretty well throughout the season. I actually think the statisticians have robbed him of a few rebounds on occasion, actually. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, he only, he only got credited with one rebound for that game. 
Well, I remember there was a couple of games ago in, in round five, I think it was, where I remember looking and it said six and I'm like, he can't have six. He must have more than six, surely. But anyway, yeah, no. I, so I think the decision making is a little bit better, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's just a matter of millimetres and it's the difference between a shot dropping and a shot missing. And confidence as well. Like I said earlier in the season, I wasn't surprised that he finally got going on the road against Cairns. And again, this is another road game. I mean, the Perth Wildcats fans, there is so much pressure on this Perth team at the moment. The Perth fans are, I mean, it's championship or bust every season. And that pressure is enormous, absolutely enormous. And and I've spoken about it before. Some of the expectations are unrealistic and they'll come for scapegoats. And look, you've got to perform. And one good game isn't enough. He does need to keep performing. But I'm still hopeful that after the fever break, he might improve. Of course, the fever break, though, is a really good time to replace people. So we've already seen Randall gone. I'm sure we'll see a couple of other guys go. Illawarra, for example, might look to move George King on. So it's a really interesting time. Either either this is the opportunity for him to start performing or it might have been his last game in a Wildcats uniform. I guess time will tell over the next fortnight. Yeah, well, I mean, Devondrick Walker, obviously. A, yes, uh, that's the other one. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, yeah, the uh, the Brisbane Bullet no more. I did want to just very, very quickly circle back to something you were sort of talking about with Manic and, and the shot selection and the ball movement. One of the things I think that actually could have been a pretty key contributor as well is that there have been a couple of times where he's made a catch out on the perimeter, not quite caught the ball clean, but still put it up. And I think with this, if he's not catching the ball clean on the kick out, he was moving it on. And whereas as soon as the ball came to him in that pocket, he's caught it on point. That's when he's shooting the shot. And that's potentially a really big difference between, again, going like, I don't know, one for seven and going eight for 10. So yeah, I, th- I think he's made some adjustments. I think the coaches would be working with him because they want to see him succeed just as much as everyone else does. And I think you're right. I think there's every possibility this could be a turning point. I, I think Maddox good to go now. I really do. I'm going to I'm gonna wish it into, into existence. And he's got the green light, but green light doesn't mean shoot it every time you get the ball. And I think he's realized that if he moves it around the horn, it's every chance it'll come back to him, okay? Maybe in the same spot, maybe you run to the corner and take a corner three. But I think that decision-making is really key too. Yeah. And look, the other great thing, I guess, just quickly out of that game was getting, I guess, some pretty decent performances out of some other guys. Like Corey Webster's been pretty average this season. Okay, shooting percentage wasn't amazing at 5 of 13, but he had 18 points. He got to the free throw line, which is good for him. He's a very lethal free throw shooter, so he's going to be a guy that's going to make some points up there. You had some pretty decent numbers, I guess. Like Obviously, Tayshaun Thomas continues to to do what he does, and I really hope that they don't even consider moving on from him. Wagstaff did his usual thing off the bench as well. You know, A little bit better from Blanchfield. So while Bryce Cotton was was sort of struggling, and he's probably the biggest beneficiary of the FIBA break as well because he's gassed at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Some of the other guys stepped up. So it's it really good. I think the biggest concern for the Wildcats at the moment, in addition to Manic, is Mitch Norton. He's really looked out of sorts this season, hasn't he? He's just not making, just not having that impact on games that he's had previously. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you have? One point and one rebound and four assists in 16 and a half minutes. Didn't even take a shot from the field, which is, yeah, it's unusual. There's something not right there. I don't know if it's an injury that he's not reporting or whatever it happens to be, but he's, yeah, he's he's struggling. On the biggest beneficiary of the fever break, I see your Bryce Cotton and I raise you Xavier Cooks. So he's out two to four weeks, but there's a full two weeks before their next game. So if it is only a two-week injury, he won't miss a game at all. So it's a good time for him. Never a good time to be injured, but the best time, I guess, in that sense. Plus, at least, he, at least he's not going to lose his job, though. <laughs> no, well, that's true. Well, yeah, he's more likely to go over to the NBA. The other sad one is Ryan Rupert, who's out for a month with a broken wrist in New Zealand. He reminds me a little bit of DeJounte Murray, actually. He looks a bit like him. He's very kind of tall and gangly and decent defensively, long wingspan. This is the thing I said last week. I haven't seen any of New Zealand. And guess what? The trend continues. I didn't see them over the weekend. They look. They continue looking pretty decent, but uh, yeah, haven't seen haven't seen him play, unfortunately. And good to see Abercrombie back. I believe it was his first home game in over a thousand days, if I'm not mistaken. So bloody wow. hell! <laughs> bloody hell! So now T20 World Cup is well and truly at the pointy end. We've already got one finalist with Pakistan stamping their ticket to the MCG. Hopefully, it won't rain. India playing England tomorrow in a very big grudge match. So uh, I don't know. Well, I'm assuming we're all barracking for India. Let, let's be honest. I don't think any of us want the Poms to win. As a neutral, I would love to see India and Pakistan again after the performance that they had earlier in the tournament. 
quite remarkable. So I'm really hoping that we'll get a replica of that. Absolutely. And I mean, we'll talk about it in a second, but Pakistan shouldn't have even been there, which is just crazy. But we do have to talk about, obviously, the Australians being from Australia. We've got to talk about what a disappointing World Cup for the Aussies. It was the sort of one that I was concerned about when we kind of did our preview. I was a little bit worried that this was the sort of crap they were going to serve up. I did think they'd make the semifinals, but obviously the pantsing that New Zealand handed out in the first game was kind of it and never really recovered. Yeah, well, there's a few things, aren't there? So the selection, there's some maybe some selection decisions that were off. Let's face it, though, we did only lose one game. The rain out against England was the other big issue. Now, okay, we probably would have lost to England. They are a better T20 team. Oh, they they just they just smashed us, mate. Let's, let's oh look, most, let's just most call likely, it as it is. Most likely, but you just never know in T twenties, and we'll talk about that in a moment when it comes to the uh, the ever chokeful Proteas. But I think that you wonder, and I know you're going to love teeing off on this. You wonder if the chickens have come home to roost on the Justin Langer sacking as well, or basically it was a sacking. It's a bit more complicated than that. But was Justin Langer the coach that this team needed? Look, I don't really feel like I need to say it. I think everyone knows my thoughts on the matter. But look, there's so many things that were wrong with this. I mean, where do you even start? And look, I guess as the summer unfolds, we might get to look at that a little bit more. With any luck, we might get to talk to Woody again about the summer of cricket and the T20s once they've all wrapped up. The other interesting thing, I heard Ed Cowan, I think it was on The Great Cricketer, saying that basically the fact that Australia won the last T20 World Cup maybe kind of put some band-aids over some pretty major wounds and maybe the team needed to be blown up because we were the defending champions they didn't make some of the widespread changes that maybe needed to happen yeah i think there's a fair bit of truth to that i'm a big fan of ed cowan good cricketing brain i mean aaron finch is one of the obvious ones for example he was in really bad form some of the bowlers you know there are t20 specialists out there you can't just select names anymore you've got to go for the horses for courses do you want to know the most ridiculous thing, though? Aaron Finch actually had the best batting average in the Australian side. Yeah, right. There you go. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> that's that's what's ridiculous. It, and that um, I mean, that mostly does come down, obviously, to one big score in the last game that he played before he tore his hamstring and probably, uh, probably did the rest of his career. But when you consider how poorly he was perceived in the media... Yeah, I mean, okay, the strike rate was an issue. 110 from an open is not ideal. But, um, yeah, when you consider how poorly he played or how poorly it was perceived that he played, the fact that he had the best batting average in the side just wasn't good. We didn't have the the heroic performances from a number of guys. And yeah, unfortunately, just weren't quite good enough on the days. And, and if you look at, I think you mentioned before about the issues with the selection, I think the biggest one that everyone's talking about is the omission of Mitchell Stark from that Afghanistan game in Adelaide, bringing in Kane Richardson. I mean, yes, it's Richardson's home deck, but if you're having to run through Afghanistan and absolutely smash them to bring that net run rate even close to where it needs to be, he's the most likely guy. He's quicker than everyone else. He's left arm. He gets the ball to swing a little bit. So what happens instead? Richardson goes for one for 48 off his four overs. Well, and I dare say, speaking of net run rate, it was the tactics in that New Zealand game. They should have played the long game with the whole tournament. They tried to win the impossible match and blew the net run rate as a result. Had they just batted out the innings with as little damage as possible, who knows? Maybe they make it to the semi. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say, like, you know, had Australia gone for maybe, let's just try and get to like 155, 160 instead of trying to chase down that 200 and instead getting bowled out for just over 110. That's the difference. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, obviously a lot of soul searching for the squad. The next World Cup in the West Indies in 18 months, I can see a fairly big overhaul coming, hopefully, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll see where that leaves the next Aussie iteration. Hell of a lot of cricket between now and then, Stewie. We've got a 50-over World Cup prior to then, so I've got a lot more optimism when it comes to the 50-over game, and that's the one I'm more interested yeah. in as well. So hopefully we'll have a better team. But, of course, it's in India and we can't play spin, so that'll be interesting. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Now, speaking of teams that need to take a good hard look at themselves, the South Africans, we spoke about it a little bit briefly. You kind of hinted at it. Why did I put any sort of faith in South Africa, honestly? <laughs> well, I was starting to drink the Kool-Aid, Stewie. I was like, holy shit, Stewie, maybe you're all right. But no, the world-beating Netherlands put that all to bed. Like, this could actually be the choke to end all chokes from them. Like, at least all the chokes that we've spoken about, you know, Great Sport Chokes 1, Episode 72 for people who haven't listened, those were against big-name nations. 
This is next level shit, basically. Like, I mean, did you see any of the match? I don't know. I didn't see any of the Dutch batting, but I saw a decent bit of the South African reply. No, I can't say I saw any of that one. I've, I've seen a lot of the subcontinental teams and the Aussies and the New Zealanders and the English teams. I saw a lot of the England-New Zealand game. And speaking of strike rates, Kane Williamson's strike rate was a big reason why they didn't win that one. Yeah, thanks for that, Kane. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, he didn't owe us anything. But yeah, no, I, di- I didn't, to be honest, see a lot of the Proteas this tournament. It was just a really weird one. Like, okay, yes, the Dutch batted well. They made 158. But a South African side with so many players in there with, I mean, if you look down their their batting lineup, obviously Quinton de Kock at the top, you've got Aidan Markram, you've got Riley Rousseau, you've got so many guys that can accumulate runs, score them quickly, but they just never got out of second gear. I mean, if you look at guys, okay, so yeah, David Miller, yeah, Temba Bavuma, yeah, Quinton de Kock, all of them went a runner ball. Riley Rousseau, Aidan Markram, Heinrich Klaassen, all of them were just above a runner ball as well. Like they just they couldn't get any sort of rhythm going. The Dutch fielded superbly. I have to say, what I saw, they were brilliant. This crazy catch running back with a flight of the ball from Van der Merwe as well that got rid of David Miller. Oh yes, I but, did see that. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, catch of the tournament. But if you look at Miller as I guess like a microcosm of why they couldn't really get going, he only faced more than two balls in a row once in his inning, and there just there weren't enough guys able to sort of get a rhythm. And they, you know, they're mixing up the bowling really, really well. But yeah, guys just couldn't have that one big over where they face all six balls and maybe take 18 or 20 off the over. That just never happened. And the worst possible time to play your worst game of the tournament. Oh, it's just, I'd be so devastated if, if I were a South African fan. I've got to mention this tweet from Cricket South Africa, Stewie. We would like to apologize to all our fans who woke up at 2 a.m. South African time and had to endure this performance. Enjoy your Sunday and get some sleep. <laughs> I'm almost surprised they didn't add the hashtag chokers again or something like that. <laughs> oh, that would have been a bit rough. I mean, we've all done that, though. We've all got up at horrible o'clock to watch various teams play terribly. So, Oh, of course. Does, yeah, yeah. It does happen. It does. So just to finish off with the T20, Josh Little became the sixth cricketer to take a T20 World Cup hat-trick for Ireland and the second this tournament. Kartik Miapan from the UAE also took one in the opening rounds there. But we've got to talk about just briefly, Danushka Ganathalaka charged with rape. Not good. And look, we won't go into the details too much here. And I saw a tweet from Isabel Westbury that said, Nepal's Sandeep Lamachan is also on in ongoing legal matters with the same charge, I believe. So, yes, uh, not good. If what's being said is true. And look, We'll let, obviously let the legal stuff play out in court. But, yeah, if it's found that these two guys are guilty, then, yeah. Yes, we don't need to give that any more oxygen, as you say, but uh, we did have to acknowledge it. Yeah, fair enough. Let's finish the cricket on a bit of levity, though, Nathan. We'll talk about some village cricket, which is always a bit of fun. Now, we've seen some absolutely amazing village stuff over the years, but I saw a couple of the absolute best this week. So there was a match between the Bangladesh Cricket Club of GA and GSA Falcons. And during that game, GSA let the ball hit the helmet behind the keeper twice in a single over. Oh, no. Twice. (laughs) That's 10 runs right there. That is. I'd tell you what, the commentator celebrated it like it had just completed his multi. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be getting How does that happen? Man, really? Well, the first one basically just got through the keeper, but there was no excuse for the first one. The second one, it looked like it was going to be a wide ball and the keepers kind of moved across and the guys managed to get like an inside edge and it's gone back and hit the the helmet. But now the other one involved overseas versus Marta Day from Malta. What a weird, weird sounding name. So the ball has come in, he's bowled one down leg side and the batters basically tried to flick it down to fine leg. But he's ballooned one to the bowler, and somehow the bowlers come in and dropped one of the biggest sodas you would ever see. But the batter started running, yeah. and this ball hasn't it hasn't gone miles in the air. It probably only went about, I don't know, six, seven metres in the air. And so the non-striker was about two paces outside of his crease at the bowler's end, and the bowler's picked up the ball that he's dropped. He's about three feet away from the stumps, underarms it, and misses the stumps, and the non-striker makes it. Oh, dear me. It's insane. <laughs> I'm going to have to get my hands on this footage, Shui. Absolutely. I, I cannot recommend highly enough checking out European cricket on Twitter. It is just 
it's everything from that to the other extreme guys, you know, hitting 24 off the last over to bring up a century and win the game. And talking of flicking stuff over fine legs, some of the shots that Suri Kumar Yadav has been playing for India has been nothing short of remarkable. What a guy to watch. Uh, the, uh, pardon the pun, but the sky's the limit for that guy. Yes, indeed. Well, funnily enough, he's 32. So a lot of people might assume that he's a young and because he hasn't been in a major fixture in the international team, but he's he's 32, so he won't be around forever. But geez, he's great to watch. He really is. So no shock horror, we're running short on time. Always happens. A couple of quick hits in the NFL. The trade deadline finished just over a week ago. What have you got for us? Yeah, a bit of off-field stuff before we talk about the most recent round because there were some very impressive performances. I think it was one of the most exciting trade deadlines in the recent NFL history, actually, it has to be said. So one of the big kind of stories was, will they or won't they keep Bradley Chubb? And when I say they, I mean the Denver Broncos. In the end, they did trade him to the Miami Dolphins, including a 2025 fifth rounder for Chase Edmonds. So the Broncos, well, and a couple of picks as well, the Broncos running back stocks have been really bad. So they really needed Chase Edmonds, who's been used less by the Dolphins than I expected. It's a really good move for the Dolphins. They're all in. They're really going for that Super Bowl appearance. So it's no surprise that they traded for him, and I think it was a good deal. Fairly obvious headline for that, Broncos lose their chub. <laughs> well, they gave it away, Stewie. They didn't just lose <laughs> it. But uh, <laughs> our old friend Mapletron, Stewie. Chase Claypool was traded. Now, several teams were scratching around for him in the end, and, and I was expecting the Green Bay Packers to get him, and I was kind of hoping they would because I had him on my fantasy team, and I still do. But uh, in the end, the Chicago Bears got him, and, and I think he was a good little pickup for them. Naheem Himes from my Colts went to the Buffalo Bills for basically Zach Moss, just trading running backs, basically. There are a number of other moves. Christian McCaffrey was the big one pre-deadline. So he went to the Panthers for four picks, a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth across two different years. No first there. And wow, his first couple of games with San Francisco were excellent, particularly that second game with them. So it already looks like that was a really, really good trade. San Francisco 49ers there. Now, the big performances I talked about, Stewie, Joe Mixon had five touchdowns on the weekend, four on the ground and one in the air. It's just incredible. <laughs> I mean, some guys are lucky to get that many in a season. To be fair, though, it's only five more than I had. <laughs> well, it's it's a bloody impressive performance. They've looked at the all-time fantasy performances, including going all the way back to before fantasy even existed with guys like Jim Brown and that. And it's one of the top 10 fantasy performances of all time. Speaking of, Justin Fields broke the all-time rushing record for a quarterback, passing Michael Vick's 173 yards when he had 178 of his own on the ground. So that was a very impressive performance. And, and he has Mapletron to throw it to now too. So things are looking up for the Chicago Bears there. Maybe they're better than I thought. Maybe. I don't know what you thought of them, to be honest. But look, I mean, they haven't had an amazing few years, have they? No, I look, I, I look. They're one of those teams that's kind of perennially crap and it's kind of proved me wrong. Do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll believe you're crap until... It's like the Jets. So the Jets this season are going really well. I think they've finally probably shaken that tag. So maybe the Bears are on the up and up too. Well, I mean, there's every chance that the Jets will pass the uh, the Buffalo Bills. Yes, indeed. Yes, the injury to Josh Allen. So it's a concerning one because the Bills, well, they were my Super Bowl pick and I'm still confident provided the injury isn't too bad, but geez... On your throwing elbow, not good. Yeah, so it's a, a UCL, which is certainly something I'd never heard of before, but, but apparently it's uh, it's going to keep him out for a little while. And and look, I mean, when it's on your throwing arm, that is a big, big, big problem moving forward. So, yeah, they've sort of been struggling the last couple of weeks, the Bills, and it, unfortunately it looks like they're going to be struggling for a little bit longer. Yeah, first game he didn't have a touchdown throw. He did have two on the ground. I did watch that one. I think they can excuse their two losses. One in my, the heat of Miami, and it was either round one or two, really early in the season. By the time the playoffs roll around, there is no heat left to see. So I don't think they'd be too worried about that. And those two picks he threw against the Jets were really bad. I did watch that game, and it was very unlike Josh Allen, to be honest. So I think they can forgive those losses. But the problem is now is that they have to have a backup quarterback playing. And as you say, they might let the Jets jump ahead of them. So they've won as many games as the Jets in the AFC East there. They just have one less loss. But obviously, without your starting quarterback, things could turn around pretty quickly. So there's every reason to believe. The Jets look pretty good. The Jets look pretty good. 
They do. I think the one thing that goes in the Bills' favour, though, they've got a very good defence. I mean, they've got comfortably the fewest amount of points given up by any team in the league. I think it's about 14 points clear of the Broncos. And their differential is plus 102. No, they have one of the best defences in the league, no doubt about that. And that's a big yeah. reason why I'm a big fan of theirs and why I think they'll do good things. But they're a very balanced team. So hopefully he won't be out too long and hopefully my Super Bowl pick will be correct because I'll tell you what, the Colts won't be winning it. Yeah, well, I guess on top of the Colts playing pretty average, the coaching change probably doesn't help either. Oh, it's a bizarre one, isn't it? So the Colts have hired Jeff Saturday as their coach. And look, he he's a very good football brain. He's all over ESPN. He's a very good analyst. He played for the team for 12 seasons, won a Super Bowl, went to another. But he's never had any head coaching experience in the NFL or any coaching experience in the NFL at all. And not even in college. He he was a head coach of a of a high school team. That's the extent of his head coaching experience. So it's a really weird one. According to CBS Sports, he's the first head coach to be hired with no pro or college experience since Norm Van Brocklin in 1961, mere months after he won the 1960 NFL MVP. Hmm, interesting. It's kind of screams Steve Nash, doesn't it? It really does. So Van Brocklin was the inaugural head coach of the Vikings from 1961 to 66 with a record of 29, 51 and 4. Okay, expansion team, you are not going to have a good record. Then he moved on to the Falcons from 1968 to 74 where he had a record of 37, 49 and 3. He lasted a hell of a lot longer than I think Jeff Saturday will last. It's It, it really is. It's like the Steve Nash thing. Uh, John Lynch has been an executive in the NFL with no executive experience, but that's kind of a different job. And look, again, He's a very good football brain, but this one's a real head-scratcher. Wasn't in the team. Okay, yes, he's kind of around the team as a former player, a former legend, but I don't know about this one. It's very odd. Should we be getting out the lettuce? (laughs) Well, I think he'll last to the end of the season, actually. I do think he'll last to the end of the season. Funnily enough, I wouldn't be surprised if they get a win. They're playing the 2-6 and Vegas Raiders, one of the worst teams in the league. So (laughs) he'd be primed for a win, but... At 3-5-1, and one, I think the team is probably wanting to tank, probably wanting to get as good a draft pick as possible. Maybe bringing in a guy with no experience is the perfect coach when you're trying to tank. But there's a lot of people talking about the fact that the Rooney rule wasn't kind of brought in here because he's an interim coach. So for those that don't know, the Rooney rule is saying that there should be at least one minority candidate interviewed for a job. They obviously, they don't have to get it, but they should at least be given an opportunity to get it. And the other thing is all these, let alone the guys on the coaching staff, but all these guys that have toiled away for many, many years, maybe even decades in some cases, to have never got a head coaching gig. And this guy gets one without any experience at all. So it it, it could really backfire this one. But Jim Ursay, he's a really weird owner. He's not kind of Dan Snyder level of owners, but he's he's a really weird one. The interview, the press conference was weird. I don't quite know how to feel about it all. I, I do like Jeff Saturday as a bloke, but I mean, I don't know. I'm happy for us to bottom out. We're clearly not a Super Bowl team. So yeah, it's going to be a bit of a shit show. It's going to be really interesting to see how it finishes. So look, anyone that's listened to us for long enough will know I'm not a massive Tom Brady fan, but he did become the first quarterback to ever have 100,000 passing yards in their comeback victory over the weekend. It was his 69th comeback drive, if I'm not mistaken. Not a fan, but I appreciate greatness. Incredible numbers that will almost certainly never be beaten. I just can't see them being beaten ever. It's the longevity. It's the not listening to his wife when she told him to retire. It's it's a bunch of things, really. But credit where credit's due. Love him or hate him. I mean, 100,000 yards don't throw themselves. You've got to do it. And he's been consistently great for a long, long time. He sure has. Decades, indeed. So they're playing a game in Germany very, very soon. It's a top-of-the-table clash, which is kind of exciting for a a game going internationally. Yeah, Munich. And funnily enough, there's a lot of talk about that because London get all these shitty games and everyone's like, how pissed (laughs) off must London be? They go to Munich for... Yeah, it's pretty funny. It is funny. But he only needs 258 yards to pass Blake Bortles' record of 952 yards outside the USA. And he's also looking to become just the third quarterback with Jay Cutler and Ryan Fitzpatrick to win games in three different countries. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there are some good stats. Yeah. Blake Bortles, of course, because Jacksonville always go to London and Jacksonville is shit. That's why Blake Bortles Hmm. has the record. Finally, Aussie Brett Thornton kicked a 75-yard punt for Georgia against Tennessee on the weekend. It was about as picture-perfect as a punt can be. Uh, Kicked from the 10, they downed it at the 1. Oh, nice. The funny thing is that news.com.au reported it as a 68-metre punt. <laughs> oh. 
And we've talked about this before. Like, yes, all other times you should be converting to the metric system. But when like yardage is an important part of the game and how we understand the game, I think you've got to keep it in yards. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they don't ever refer to the three-point line as being however many meters. It's always in feet and inches. It's Yeah, that's that's just stupid. Now, not quite the same level as the NFL, but I don't know if you saw this, the... Uh, the West Toronto Prep football team had a very, very disappointing game against IMG Academy the other day. Now, they were 0-5 going into the game. IMG Academy is considered one of the best teams in America. So it was a complete mismatch right from the start. But uh, 96-0 at halftime this one was, and they mercilessly took the mercy rule into effect. I watched highlights from the first half, and there were three scoop sixes. I don't know if you ever heard of the phrase scoop six. I can't say that I have. What, from so it's a basically, yeah, so where the defense has picked up an errant snap for a touchdown, it's probably not something that happens very often, let's be honest. But uh, they had three of those. They had three safeties. There was a blocked punt that turned into a touchdown and just a lot of defensive scoring in this one, just almost as much as the offense. So, yeah, just a, a crazy, crazy game. And as I said, thankfully, they <laughs> sort of had smarter heads and decided that they would just call this one off at halftime. Bloody hell, if you're getting three touchdown returns off errant snaps. I mean, they probably shouldn't have even been playing. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh, that was, it was ridiculous. They were like going for it on fourth and 15 on their own three-yard line. Yeah, that's outrageous. <laughs> you yeah, took like, me off to that one and I did see some of the highlights. That's, yeah. But like, that's how scared they were to punt. <laughs> it was like, we, we should be punting from where we are, but we're that scared that it's just going to end up being another safety that we'd rather just turn it over on down and let them walk it in. Maybe they wanted the mercy at halftime. Maybe they were playing for that. Yeah, well, it was it was ugly. All right, Stu, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, look, I have to say, I'm actually kind of excited for the fever break. It'll be nice to take a couple of weeks away from the NBL, let everyone recalibrate. Hopefully the second part of the season, I guess, is a little bit more exciting for me than the first. But look, a lot of crazy stuff going on and off the courts. It's just... Yeah, every week we do this, there's just more crazy shit happening. I, I don't even know where to, where to finish, really. Well, we've got the T20 World Cup. We'll be wrapping up. Looking forward to watching those finals. But the Soccer World Cup's not too far away either. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>